0: Well, guys, uh, today, you know, one of the things that I love about this church is our ruthless commitment to expositional teaching. And sometimes that means that we teach passages that are sensitive, difficult, and challenging. I mean, I remember growing up and my mom, I feel like in the South now I need to say my mama. I, I remember growing up, my mom telling me that there are three things that you never talk about in polite company, money, sex, and religion. The trouble is in the Sermon on the Mount, guess what three issues Jesus touches on? You guessed it, money, sex, and religion. And today as we come to this passage, we come to a topic, the issue of uh, sexuality and lust that in so many ways has become a taboo topic on one hand and on the other hand is everywhere within our culture today. Just a few moments of turning on the television and you'll realize that sexual images are being thrown at us in 10,000 different directions. And yet the question is, in the midst of it all, What is God's heartbeat for redemptive sexuality? And as we begin to walk in the journey of following Jesus, how do we do that? And it's here that the passage that we're going to look at in the book of Matthew was so incredibly important to us today. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 27 to 30 together. And uh, here's what we're told by Jesus. And you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Light stuff, huh? You know, if you're just joining us, uh, we are in the midst of this series in uh, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7. And in these words, Jesus is giving us a picture of what it looks like to live in light of this reality that he calls the kingdom of heaven. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Matthew summarizes the entire teaching ministry of Jesus back to this statement, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This thing, the kingdom of heaven is something so profound, so central that it rewrites every perception and thought we had of how reality works, including the way we look at issues like relationships and sexuality. And perhaps it's now more than ever that this passage becomes so incredibly important in our world today. In fact, uh, if you've been following with us over the last few weeks, you know that we find ourselves in a larger section that I, I call the fulfillers. All the way back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't make it into the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying there is that righteousness has to be more than just external action. And Jesus reminds us that his relationship to the Old Testament law is that he didn't come to eliminate it but to bring it back to its original purpose, to bring us back to the heart of God behind each of the individual commands. And while the Pharisees of Jesus' day simply look to the external action, Jesus reminds them that ultimately it's about the heart. And so as we begin to talk about the issue of lust and sexuality, I think the question we have to wrestle with is what does that look like? And it's why I want to come back to what I want to suggest to you is the key idea of our message today. And it's this that the law's intention around adultery, adultery and lust was about preserving God's heartbeat for redemptive sexuality. Now, you might say, well, what in the world is redemptive sexuality? What does that look like? And it, perhaps that's the best place to start by looking at the command, by looking at God's commitment to this redemptive sexuality. For example, we open up here in verse 27 with these words, that you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, Does that command look familiar to any of you? Where do we hear that? It's in the Big Ten, right? You know, this is a part of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery. Adultery here is uh, breaking the marital covenant by sleeping with one who is not your spouse. And we might ask the question, well, from the beginning, why was that important to the heart of God? Maybe a different way to ask the question is, what was the law's original intent around adultery? Why does this question matter to God? Why is this such an important and significant issue? And I'm going to suggest to you from the front that it's because from the very beginning, God designed sex as a beautiful and intimate gift that was designed to be used in a proper and rightful context. For example, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the Garden of Eden, and he says to them, be fruitful and multiply. I hate to break anybody's bubble here, but uh, he's not talking about fruit salads. Okay. He He's inviting them to a redemptive and joyful union in the expression of healthy, redemptive sexuality. You go back to Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, and there sex is celebrated as a gift b- given by God in its right context, is a blessing to build up and encourage another. And it's why then when we seek to answer the question, what was the law's original intent around adultery? Here's what we can say that sex is a gift that God has given in the context of marriage to nurture and honor the beauty and glory of God's image in another. Sex is a gift that God has given. Sex was God's idea to be used in a proper context for the purpose of drawing out the beauty and the glory of his image in the life of another. You know, the reality is, we've struggled with knowing what to do with that. I mean, if I'm honest, in the environments that I grew up in, in in Christian environments, sex was a completely taboo topic. As a kid, I don't ever remember hearing a message on sex. Why? Because it's taboo. Why is that? I mean, shouldn't the church be a safe place? where we have these conversations in light of scripture to come back to the heart and design of what God has always designed around these issues. Can I also say this week, as I sat and I wrestled with this topic, I realized that now more than ever, for the church to have a robust theology of redemptive sexuality has never been more important. You know, we... We sometimes balk as we look at the voices of culture and and ways that we see the world falling apart sexually. We lament redefinitions or we lament different perspectives that the world is sharing. But could it be that the reason why we so often lose the ability to talk meaningfully about sex in culture is because we've lost the art of talking about sex meaningfully even in our ranks. You know, we lament redefinitions on on marriage, and and yes, I believe that Scripture teaches us that marriage is designed as a covenant between a man and a woman for a lifetime, but perhaps we've been so uh, guilty of focusing on the first part of that that we neglected the latter. The reality is divorce and infidelity often is as rampant in the local church as it is in the world as a whole. Or we reduce issues of sexuality as something that other people struggle with that we neglect the fact that any relational issue, the way in which we treat one another, especially those that we would call a spouse, uh, bring us into a place where it speaks not only to the issues of, of physicality, but it speaks to the issues of neglect, domestic violence, and many other issues. And as we seek to talk about a robust theology of sexual ethic, we have to realize that it goes in many different directions and it calls us back to a central reality. The invitation and the recognition that we are called to nurture and honor the beauty and glory of God's image in another. You know, years ago I heard a speaker talking on the idea of of sex and intimacy and and they, they communicated something that just... It's always stuck with me. They said that, you know, we often treat intimacy as if it's the starting point of sex. But really, from the beginning, without intimacy, there is no sex. And they're two different things. And so somebody asked, well, what in the world are you talking about when you talk about intimacy? And the answer was, well, it's intimacy. Into me, you see. That intimacy is all about seeing and honoring and cherishing another. It's about seeing the beauty and the glory and the goodness of God in another. And through the act of physicality, calling out this beautiful gift, this beautiful recognition, the closest thing this side of eternity that we have of relational union. And it's tragic because against the backdrop of our sinful and broken hearts, something has gone terribly wrong. Now having said that, let me me pause here. The Pharisees in Jesus' day prided themselves. Look, we are good. We are upstanding. We have never committed adultery. We've never committed the physical act, and so we're good. And Jesus is reminding them from the beginning, it's never been about the physical act. It's always been about the heart, That lust begins not just in the external action, but in the heart. And if we're honest, I think it'd be very difficult for any of us to say, eh, I don't struggle with that. Or I've never struggled with that in my journey. Can I tell you this week, even as I stand before you, uh, I have wrestled with the fact that I cannot stand up here as one unscathed by this issue. It's part of my story. It's part of the journey. And I don't don't stand before you with platitudes of everything that we need to do differently. But rather, I come with a heart that wants to follow and apprentice the way of Jesus. Not just in my prayers, not just in my theology, but in how I follow Jesus in my body and around issues of sexuality. And if you're here today, and somehow, uh, you know, some sexual sin is a part of your story, I just want to pause here and tell you, there's grace. There's grace. And I've watched far too many brothers and sisters who have struggled with sexual sin, singled out as if it was some sin worse than the other. And friends, I believe that our God is gracious and ready to forgive and to redeem This path has everything to do with what we do moving forward rather than what lie in our past. And if today you are here and God is inviting you to find freedom and redemption in this area, I want to just encourage you. It is here in abundance. It is here by his grace and mercy. But the reality is we as human beings, we've missed it. We can so easily stray into missing everything that the law around sexuality and lust was designed to be, and it's why then I want to look now to the words of Jesus and what he teaches us about the corruption of redemptive sexuality. Again, listen to the words of Jesus. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, I want to look at the backdrop of the Pharisees who prided themselves on, look, we're we're upstanding people. I mean, the Gentiles, they do these horrible sexual things, but man, we're pure. We've got it figured out. And Jesus is saying, if you've even looked at another person with lustful intent, the same heart action has already taken place in your heart. In fact, this word to lust in the Greek is the word epithemeo, It means uh, to desire strongly. It's, It's this idea that I want something so badly. I want this person so badly that I am willing to pursue them even to the point of misusing them, objectifying them, or dismissing them simply as a tool for my own satisfaction and gratification. In fact, can I suggest to you that one of the purest signs of lust is Pure signs of lust, that's a weird way to put it. Um, what are the, one of the most base ways of looking at lust, how about a test for lust, is that lust often requires me to objectify or to commodify another person for my own gratification. As soon as I stop seeing another person created in the image and the beauty of God, I am well down the path of what lustful intent may look like. You know, This week, I, I was uh, wrestling with, okay, what are, what are some examples in Scripture of, of what this kind of lustful exchange looks like? And quickly, where I went was the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, for those of you who know the story, David was the king of Israel, and he was sitting uh, on his roof one day, looking out across the city, and he sees this woman, Bathsheba. In fact, we get the account of that in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to read a section of that. And it says that it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. He saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him. And he lay with her. And then what I want you to catch, notice this parenthetical comment that screams volumes. Now, she had been purifying herself From her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. You see, in ancient Israel, the practice was that when one had fallen short of the law, the common practice was to bathe or to dip into a a mikveh, as they call it in Hebrew, in order to come into a place of ritual goodness and purity before God, to become clean under the Old Testament law. You know, when we read this story, we often picture Bathsheba, you know, out on her roof taking a bath, But there's a particular context of what's happening here. Bathsheba is actually in the act of worship, in cleansing herself, in purifying herself from her uncleanness. And it's in that moment that David sees her and sends for her. And I'm going to even use the words exploits her. Again, here is a picture of that commodification and gratification. Here was Bathsheba trying uh, to, uh, to follow God. Here was Bathsheba trying to pursue a life of purity, and yet David, so bent in his own lust, could only see what he desired rather than the beauty and the goodness of the image of God in the one who stood before him. So I've been taken by the words of commentator and pastor Dallas Willard when he writes these words, that sexual impurity begins in the desires of the heart, Again, Jesus is not saying that lustful desires are identical to lustful deeds and therefore a person might as well just go and commit adultery. The desire and the deed are not identical but spiritually speaking, they are equivalent. The look that is mentioned is not a casual glance but a constant stare with the purpose of lusting. It is possible for a man to glance at a beautiful woman and know that she is beautiful but not lust after her. The man described by Jesus looked at the woman, and then catch this last phrase, for the purpose of feeding his sexual appetite, sensual appetites as a substitute for the act. You see, the heart attitude that underlie adultery, the heart attitude that underlie lust is a willingness to objectify and to minimize the glory of God in the other. For the satisfaction of my own sexual appetites and approval. See, that's the problem with lust. Because from the beginning, God's heart for sexuality was focused on building up the other person. But lust is focused on how they can be objectified for my own pleasure and benefit. Lust is all about how I can bend another person to my own satisfaction. Lust is all about me having my appetites met rather than how I can build up and bless another with the gift of sexuality and my body. You know, I think it's worthwhile here for us to address um, perhaps one of the greatest, I think, epidemics facing the church today. And it has to do with the issue of pornography. According to a study that was done in 2014, um, Barner Research suggested that 68% of men who identify as evangelical, uh, evangelical Christians regularly view porn. That 76% of men between the ages of 18 to 24 regularly view porn. That 42% of evangelical women actively search for porn at least once in a 12-month period. According to another organization known as The Conquerors that deal particularly with the issuality of sexuality and pornography, one of the things that they share is a a statistic that it is believed that over 90% of evangelical men will view pornography at least once in a 12-month period. 90%. Can I tell you, in all of my years in the church, I've never heard a sermon where this issue was addressed and brought into the forefront because it's sensitive, because it's ugly. But friends, it's vital that we have this conversation. I know as I've journeyed, both in my own journey and with others, there is the lie that says, look, it's not adultery, it's an innocent look at something on a computer screen. Jesus says, if you look at another person, even if virtually, (laughs) It's the same. And this isn't just an issue for guys. Again, the statistics show with increasing prominence, women find themselves bound in erotic literature, in pornography, in, in uh, ways in which we objectify one another for the satisfaction of our own sexual appetites. And friends, we got to name it you got to name it. And friends, I, I don't know if that's part of your story or not. But friends, if it is, I can tell you that as I have walked with so many men in my journey, the only way that you find healing from this thing is by bringing it in the light. And if that's you, in your city groups, in your discipleship groups, in the communities that you walk with, have the conversation, talk about it, Find folks that will walk with you and process this because friends, there are few things that are more toxic to the human soul than the tendency to objectify other people and to miss the beauty and the glory of God in another. And the sobering question that I believe this section of scripture invites us to ask is simply this. Are my relationships with others characterized By lust or by love? In those closest to you, is what defined my relationship with others a desire to see the beauty and the glory of God brought out and manifested in them? Or is it a willingness to exploit that beauty and corruption so that I feel more approved of, so that I feel more powerful? So that I feel more accomplished. In fact let me even say this. That in the friends that I have walked with. As I have struggled in these areas. That there are at times. The recognition. That oftentimes What's on a computer screen. Has nothing to do. With sexuality. And everything to do with power. The belief that. Somehow I can imagine a fantasy world. Where I feel more approved of where I feel more valuable, where I feel more seen. And the tragedy in that place is we miss the heart of Jesus in the beauty and the goodness of the people that we're invited to do life with. So I just, I, I invite you to take stock over your relationships right now. Are your relationships Characterized more by other centered love or self-directed lust. And what might Jesus be inviting you into? Because make no mistake, Jesus is very clear in this passage that redemptive sexuality matters. In fact, look what he goes on to say. If you're right, I causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you. Uh, to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And one of the great um, interpretive dilemmas that scholars have faced through the years in this passage is how in the world are we supposed to take Jesus' commands? I mean, it's Jesus inviting us into like the sequel to Saul. Like, what, 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 are, what are we talking about here? Uh, for example, the early church father Origen suggested no, 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 this is quite literal. You know, if, if, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your, if your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. And uh, there's, there's been this belief that uh, somehow what Jesus is talking about here is physical mutilation. Here's why I don't think that's the case I know the human heart well enough. You can pluck the right eye out, and the left eye is just as capable of lusting. You can cut the right hand off, and the left hand is perfectly capable of doing the same. The issue here is not how many body, physical hands or eyes we have. The issue here is how serious are we really ready to get about cherishing and valuing a redemptive sexuality? in our journey. In fact, uh, a couple of things that are worth noting here. Notice that Jesus says, it's both your right eye and your right hand that are to be cut off. Do you know why that's important? Your right in the ancient world was seen as that which was most productive, that which was most valuable, that which could get things done the most. And what Jesus is saying is if you have to go into a place where you have to hinder even your greatest success and accomplishment in order to come into alignment around a healthy sexuality, do it. Because Jesus is recognizing that the spiritual cancer of lust and inevitably adultery can lead us into a place where the destruction and the damage that is done both in our hearts and the life of others is devastating. And it's why then I want to suggest to you that what Jesus is saying here is recognizing that apprenticing Jesus is going to call for drastic measures. I love the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 verses 8 to 12 when he gives us this call. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Can we just just pause there for a second? You are not a victim to the urges of your body. We have a choice. And the choice is how, what we do with these bodies. And it's why he says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Friends, the invitation that we are being given in this passage is to recognize that these bodies are in the context of a relationship. In fact, if you go back to those, uh, that passage there in Romans, uh, one of the things that you will notice, notice the why behind why we're supposed to present our bodies to God. As those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. From the beginning, the call, the journey towards health and pursuing redemptive sexuality comes in discovering just how beloved and valuable you really are. Friends, I've sat with many people and I have heard again and again from folks that oftentimes the journey to lust, adultery, pornography, all of these issues comes from the desire to know that they are approved of, valuable, and precious in the eyes of God. And one of the greatest lies of the evil one is that he loves to come alongside and say, look, it's easier to escape into a fantasy world where you can objectify anyone to your own advantage rather than, rec- rather than receiving the value and the beauty of who you are is one created in the image of God. Friends, finding healing in these areas comes as we begin to recognize who we are. Deeply beloved by God. Deeply beloved and, inv- and invited by him to follow into a life of obedience and surrender. And friends, if this is currently part of your story, can I suggest to you that this is the starting place? I've I've seen so many guys say, look, uh, I'm just going to stop tomorrow. And they come back into the same place again and again and again. Because the path forward comes back into the design for what God always had desired for us. To see us. Thrive and flourish as people created in his image. And perhaps the journey begins in prayerfully inviting God to reveal to you your own belovedness and value. And this is heavy stuff. But can I say, when we hear these words of Jesus, tone is everything. I mean, there would be one way of reading these verses and to hear the words of Jesus. You horrible, wretched, dirty people. What's your problem? That's not the voice of Jesus. I think Jesus is coming with the tender care of a loving friend and father. Who's saying, oh, don't let this rob you of the relational design that I had for you. Don't let this steal from you the joy of the life for you that I always intended. Align your life around my design for healthy sexuality because it's a gift that I've given from the beginning to bless you. And ultimately then, I think the question that each of us have to wrestle with is simply this. Where is God Inviting each of us to return to his heartbeat for redemptive sexuality. Maybe today uh, that looks like confronting the issue of pornography. Maybe today that looks like the tendencies in your own heart to objectify or to minimize other people. Maybe today that comes in renewal of your commitment to your spouse. That this gift of sex that God has given us is not primarily about me. But how we can bless and encourage one another. Friends, can I say that there are a few things that I, speak, I think will speak more transformingly to our culture today than the church's commitment to a biblical sexuality. Sexuality. A sexuality that, on one hand, celebrates this incredible gift that God has given us, this incredible joy that God has given us in order to have the privilege of drawing out the beauty and goodness of the glory of God in another. And at the same, a willingness for us to say, This matters. This matters. And we're going to get serious. Continue to be serious. Fight the good. Fight together. Because it's worth it. Because you're worth it. Because the bride is worth it. You know, as I wrap up today, um, I recognize <clears throat> the sensitivity around this topic. And, and I'll be honest with you. Um, all week, I've been wrestling with preaching a sermon and getting off the stage and acting like the conversation's over. My greatest fear is that in teaching this message, this becomes theological platitudes rather than an invitation to a journey. I just want to say if this is part of your story, I'm here. Mark's here. Others on staff are here. Your elders are here. We count it a high honor and a privilege to walk with you in these areas. Because we value you. Because we believe you're worth it. Because we believe the fight's worth it. And so... um, After the service, I'm just going to be hanging out here up front. If you'd like to talk, great. If you want to call me or someone else over the next week, do so. Um, But friends... This week, I just found myself breaking I want God's heart for you in this area. And perhaps today, you're already walking in it. Fantastic, celebrate that. Praise God for that. But maybe today, you hear Jesus inviting you in a fresh way to a new commitment in this area. Will you respond? Will you listen? Will you hear So Jesus, we love you. And we love you because you loved us first. And God, again, I declare the reality that there is no sin that is beyond your ability to forgive. Lord, and I pray for any here today that are, that are struggling in these areas. May they know they're not alone. May they know that they're not discarded. May they know that they're not less, but they are people created in your image that you invite to wholeness and health. And I pray today that by your grace, you would continue to hold your arms out wide open and draw them towards you. Lord, I, I lift up to you uh, just uh, those who are enjoying the gift of sex in the context of marriage, God. It sounds crazy, but I pray, would you radically bless their sex lives? God, every day, May they find a satisfaction and a joy in the arms of one another that's so much better than what the world could ever offer. And God, how I pray that as we learn to walk, to apprentice you, even in the issues of our sexuality, that you would teach us more and more of your grace. That you would teach us more and more of your love. And then in the midst of it all, you would be glorified. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you in your name. Amen? Amen.